Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, Repetological Hour. Uh, I have Ryan from Underground Reptiles on today. We're going to be talking about his Tegu projects he's got going on. Um, <clears throat> how are you doing today, Ryan? Hello? Ryan, you there? I am oh, here. Sorry about that. How are you doing today? I'm blessed. Thank you. That's good. Glad you could make it. Um, Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Everybody's just amazed. I've been talking to a lot of people around about your uh, Tego projects you got going on down there in Florida. Yeah, so, we've worked um, a lot. You know, we've worked real hard. Now, do you have any, like, if somebody wanted to get into tegus, is there any particular one that's better than the other one? Because I know, I've heard some of them can be a little bit on the uh, temperamental side. No, my opinion is the same thing with ball pythons, you know. It just depends on what it is that you're looking for out of it when it comes to looks. That's one of the things at Underground Reptiles I'm trying to develop, is uh, tegus that have different morphs, different colors to, to suit people's taste. Now, when it comes to uh, what tegu somebody should choose, obviously they would know their needs based upon the size of the cage they have available, uh, how good they are handling animals. You know, some snakes, they're a little more aggressive than others, and same thing with tegus. But that's why we try to stick to only the captive bred stuff, creating a, um, creating a uh, uh, availability of, of purely captive bred animals that would, um, that would suit people, that would be calm and tame from the time they get it. Okay, now I, I noticed that you got, you do all your breeding outside. Do you find that better than indoor breeding? Do you find it works better? Or is well, it, I don't do all my breeding you? inside. I don't do all the breeding inside, and I don't keep the animals inside all the time. The animals go outside when they're big enough to uh, handle the outside cages without uh, going crazy and smashing their noses up. Um, for me, it's, it's also very cost-effective because, you know, I have hundreds of animals. And for me to get... Uh, the proper lighting, because the tegus, like, like a lot of reptiles with thick bones, they need UV lighting. They need a lot of uh, you know, ultraviolet and calcium. They have to be able to synthesize calcium. And it's, it's, it, would be, it would be so not cost-effective to, to house you know, 200 pairs of lizards inside with all the lighting that they need. Oh, okay. Um, now, as I, I was on your page earlier, and I happened to notice the, uh, all the different uh, tegus that you have for sale, now, uh, what's the difference between the like the the, the black and white tegu and the um, like the Argentinian red tegu? Tegus are a lot like um, let's say corn snakes. If you've ever hunted corn snakes from down all the way South Florida, uh, say the Keys, they have their own little corn snake. All the way up through New Jersey, they've got corn snakes. And every one of them has these little nuances, little patterns. Some of them are larger than others. 
Sometimes they integrate with different yellow rat snakes in some areas, uh, black rat snakes in other areas. And tegus are the same. So when you're dealing with an Argentine black and white tegu, it really depends on what area of Argentina they come from. If you're dealing with a red tegu, it depends on what area in Argentina or Paraguay. or There's all the South American countries have their own tegus. And even within the countries, there's so much variation. The ones that we breed are the common um, black and white tegus that come out of Paraguay, which we call Chicoan whiteheads or giant tegus. And then we also breed the black and white uh, Argentine tegus, which are just regular tegus from Argentina. Um, you know, and I really wish I knew what city they were from, but I don't. So uh, what got you into, like, I know you've been into the reptile for a long time, but what got you geared towards the massive breeding that you do of the tegus? You like the tegus? Uh, is it just Well, I had a friend of mine named Ron St. Pierre. And Ron St. Pierre was breeding tegus when I was uh, just breeding some uh, chondra pythons. And I used to go up to his house and see his, his, uh, his layout, and, I, man, I just fell in love with it. And one day he told me he was getting out of it, and I said, hey, would you mind if, you know, if I geared toward it? And he said, no, you know, go right ahead. I, I, don't, I could care less. So I did. I, uh, I started gearing up toward tegus, and I really fell in love with them, the different species, and then the color morphs. And, and then when Ron produced his albinos, I said, man, I, I love that. But then I, I'd, I'd like to think, you know, with his help, I took it to the next level by trying to crossbreed and, and take that albino gene and put it into black and white, take that albino gene and put it into the red, and then crossbreeding and breeding them back to each other to see all the different little color morphs. The same thing that the guys are doing with the ball pythons. I'm doing uh, with tegus and trying to breed bigger ones to bigger ones and smaller ones to smaller ones and trying to crossbreed different tegu um, locales with other ones. So, uh, And then the, the, the idea of actually doing this for a living, that I wouldn't have to get up every day and go to a nine-to-five job, especially working for this wonderful government we have, man, it was exciting to me. And, and I realized it's something that can be done, mass production of, of lizards uh, and making a living, feeding my kids from it, man. It was just, what a blessing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, I understand. I I really understand. Um, now, um, with the albino gene, like your baby uh, purple tiger albino tegus and all, um, do you plan to, like, try to m- produce enough of them so uh, the prices come down a little bit? Because I know they're pretty high, and then it wouldn't be something for a beginner in any way. That would be for, like, right. more of an advanced person to get into something like that. Yeah, here's how that's working, um, bro, is that I was hoping to be able to mass produce them as of last year, but the genes aren't lining up from purple tegu to purple tegu as much as I thought they would. So what has turned out happening is now this year I've got more eggs than I've ever had, but because there's so many gene pools involved in one lizard, I'm really trying to figure out how I can mass produce them and bring the price down. The whole idea is that when Ron St. Pierre first started producing these, these albino tegus, we thought, man, it'd be easy to mass produce them, you know, charge a uh, hundred bucks a piece at one point in time, and they'd be available to the whole public. But in the end, they're not nearly as easy to breed as people think they are. And unlike uh, ball pythons, they don't, they don't, they're not as predictable as people think they are. So all these guys that are getting into breeding tegus right now, they're going to find out that tegus aren't like ball pythons. They don't just breed that easy. Yeah. Uh, why don't you, can, can you talk us through how you uh, 
get them prepped for breeding and talk us through the breeding process and how, how you do it? For sure. Uh, you know, that's no problem. It's no secret. I've never, I've never been one who uh, keeps secrets from, from people who enjoy these animals. I'm not, I'm not trying to protect anything. There's a couple of secrets I keep to myself, but mostly I, I have no problem sharing everything that we do. Uh, come September, I pair my animals up. The animals that I want to breed the following year, I pair them up. I put them in cages together. I let them winter together. They go through a brumation. Uh, sometimes it gets cold enough and they'll actually hibernate because in Florida, I'm in South Florida, and it doesn't get uh, that cold, but it does get cold into the – sometimes it even goes into the uh, high 30s. And um, I house them together. And then come spring is when the animals first come out of hibernation, hibernation and start breeding. And when they breed, when they first come out, when they lay their eggs is depending on what species and breed there are. The black and white tegus are the first ones to um, to lay eggs. And then after that, the other black and whites, the uh, Argentines, and then after that, the reds, and then after that, the blues. And, and so it's really, it's, they're on a cycle. And it can drive you crazy if you try to, you try to time it out. And once the animals lay their eggs, you've got to snatch them eggs up quick because if you leave them in there, the female or the male will eat them. We try to remove the male before... Uh, before she lays the eggs, but that doesn't always work out. Yeah, I, I was watching some of your videos. Uh, they seem to lay, what, about 30 eggs or so? Is that about your average clutch size? or? It uh, really depends on, on each animal. Each animal is different. I mean, you got anywhere from, an, I have females that lay 15, 20 eggs, and they're 8, 9, 10 years old. And then I've got some females that are only 3, 4 years old, and they'll give me 40 eggs. So that really depends on the size of the female. And then also... Just like anybody that's bred boas and, and any live bearers, man, sometimes you wind up with these gigantic eggs and you only got 15 or 20 of them, and sometimes you wind up with these little tiny eggs and you got 40 or 50 of them. So really no way to tell, and I, I know it's not dietary or anything else like that. It's just kind of uh, the blessing of God upon your life. <laughs> I understand that, too. Um, now, what would be the average, uh, what, what, what age would you start breeding them at? No, I don't. I try not to put them together until they're at least uh, two and a half to three. I don't. If you if you try to get them at one, I've had animals breed at one, but man, it really shortens the life of the female. It's really hard on them, even if they're big enough. Uh, you'll get your best breeding three, four, five. You see anything? Uh, anything like coming up in the taker world that would change it, other than the purple tiger albinos that you got? Because I'm just amazed. Yeah, I've got I've got some really cool stuff. I'm looking toward the future. We're working on right now what's called the ice tegu. Um, this this coming year, I've got about 15 or 20 viable eggs that are black and white crosses with albinos. So when I cross the black and white uh, male with an albino female, and I got like 30-some-odd eggs, of which more than half of them are still good. So when those animals come out, we really haven't come up with a name for them yet, but um, we're going to breed those back to the albinos, Thus, we're going to get black and white albino tegus. You know, it's a five- to seven-year project, but, you know, we're really looking forward to that in the future. Plus, again, the purple tig- the purple tegus, which are a three-quarter blue, one-quarter red tegu bred back, so it's actually an F2. We call them the purple tegu. The gene pool that's in those things, is so it's such a conglomerate of different genes that everyone's different. It's so variable. It's almost like breeding the alternas. You know, you never know which phase you're going to get, the, the alternative phase or the Blair's phase. That's what's happened with these purple tegus. 
Sometimes you have the, the red rising. Sometimes you have the blue rising. Some of them have a, the brown nose. Now, in addition to that, I also have these things we call, um, um, we call pink panther tegus. The pink panther tegus are an albino female, a, a female red albino crossed with an albino, I'm sorry, it's an albino male crossed with a red female. So it's got 25% blue, but 75% red, and they're het for albino. So I don't know what that's going to look at, but those right now are a year and a half old, and I'm hoping next year if they're big enough, um, probably the following. I'm not going to rush them because there's only a few of those. can't even imagine what they're going to look at. And if, if anybody watches our, our videos, they, they've seen we have the pink panthers online, and they're just the sickest-looking animals you've ever seen. So you're just basically just now opening the door to what's possible. That's always been the idea. And next year I'm going to have more stuff. And then the year after that I'm going to have more stuff. You know, I'm hoping in the future to produce a small line. I'm, I've, I've been putting aside some uh, tegus from, from Colombia and Guyana that I'm really hoping to produce. So I could produce a line of tegus that, that only gets, you know, uh, a foot and a half, two foot. That would be, you know, amazing that people who don't have all that space can still have a nice tame tegu. That would be awesome. <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, now, with your store, it, it, are, do you only breed the tegus? I know you guys breed your um, your um, geckos and stuff like that, but is there other stuff that you guys breed right in, at your place? Yeah, I also breed uh, blue-tongued skinks. One of the projects that I have is it's a late summer project, but I breed a lot of blue-tongued skinks. I probably have um, 40 females. Um, so I produce those in, in pretty good quantities every year. Although they're a much harder animal to produce, I do uh, I do produce a lot of blue tongue skinks, uh, rhino iguanas. I work with. Uh, I produce uh, two or three hundred box tur- baby box turtles a year as well. And then one of the guys that work for me, Ryan B, he does a lot of the geckos. He does a lot of the uh, uh, crested gecko morphs, and he does those big uh, what are they called? Rhinodactylus. Uh, those what are those giants? Lichianus. The Cal- new- would say. The Lichianus, the New Caledonian Lichianus. right. Lichia, there you go. That's what kind of reptile guy I am. Lichies. He, he breeds a lot of leeches too. And then this past year, he's had actually a lot of success uh, producing some of those little Asian rat snakes, the bamboos, the porphyracea, and the cocci, as, as well as the other ones. And, man, it's, you know, it's been, uh, it's been amazing to, to see. And, and we're working on mass producing these uh, red-sided uh, garter snakes, too, because uh, I'm really liking, really enjoying garter snakes. Yeah, I, I noticed that, uh, you know, I've been in the reptile hobby now for almost 30 years, and I've noticed a total difference in the quality of an animal that you get today than what you used to get 30 years ago. Because most of the stuff 30 years ago was captured right out of the wild. And uh, people now are, like you guys are breeding them, and I breed a lot of king snakes. It makes a huge difference. Oh, I, so, I agree 100. percent I'm I'm not I'm not one of those animal conservationists that thinks that we should outlaw um, collection out of the wild, but I definitely think it should be regulated and policed because uh, letting people produce them in in captivity stops the need for people to get them out of the wild. It lowers the prices as it raises the supply and the demand increases with it. The prices go down and and the need for poaching and the need for people taking them out of wild is not there. And I'm not against people that collect them out of wild. I'm, I'm not one of those guys that says no, no wild caught animals, but 
I definitely am for conservation of them. Oh yeah, I agree. <clears throat> um, do you where, where do you think the hobby is going to go in like uh, ten years, fifteen years down the road with all these laws are trying to pass like with the bigger stuff? Like your oh goodness, serious? I think they're going to shut us down, buddy. I, I think really? our days are numbered. Oh, absolutely. You, you understand how this works? Let me explain in, in case in case any listener doesn't understand how this works. Um, there are what's called lobbyists, and the lobbyists are the animal rights activists that don't believe that anything should be held kept in captivity. They're going after and putting out the bad publicity. They're, they, they are propagandists for these animals. Like, like you, anybody that's not in Florida, all they hear about is all the wild Burmese pythons that are in the Everglades, which, believe me, one-tenth of what they're hearing isn't true. Yeah, there's some out there, absolutely, but to say that they're ravaging the wild or that people are in danger is is an absolute fallacy, but they run with it because that's how they put their agenda over. What they do is they tell their Congress, they have on their payroll, they, they have these lobbyists, and they petition Fish and Wildlife to put every living animal, every single living animal, they want to put on the endangered species list so that there's no trade. They, and every year, And every year they put more and more animals on there. And Fish and Wildlife has got to respond to it. And when they don't respond to it, they can now sue to put these different animals. That's why we just had that big mess with the retics and, and with the anacondas and all of that stuff. They they just got it so that they, they kind of put an injunction so you can still ship some of the uh, retics and anacondas, but not in Florida and not in Texas. But uh, right. that's just a slight injunction. So you you're, you're, you think they're gonna it's going to be shut down huh eventually they're going to shut us down this is this is what they want this is this is the way it's going i mean you you can't have a goldfish in san francisco <laughs> i mean it's pretty insane these animal rights activists i mean which so many people identify themselves with they don't want people to have any live animals they're going to go after dogs cats right now they're going after the untraditional the, the thing that has the the public in in derision against crazy exotic animal keepers like all of us but eventually they're going to get around to everything and then all those people that don't stop them now that don't support us arc that don't go after people who have the means we got to go after these people we got to fight them you know in the government where, where it is you cannot out argue these people they're not interested the only thing they're interested in is having nobody have live animals they are that crazy well i know that uh I live next door to a lady who's a PETA person, and uh, she doesn't like it that we even have a dog. It, it's just exactly. crazy. And uh, then she found out that I had some snakes, and they're in uh, cages, and she doesn't understand. I tried to explain to her. She was complaining about it, and I was trying to explain to her because she doesn't think the cages are big enough, and they're only king snakes. But I said, you know, even when you go out in the wild and you find them, they're they're tucked under a small, tiny little rock or something, you know, or under thick, under wood logs or whatever. They're not roaming around anywhere. They like to be in a tight quarters, you know. I mean, I got full. You can't you can't form, explain it to them. No, there's no explaining it to this lady next door at all. None. She's just out there. Have you had? You any could present problems? her with facts. You could explain to her that animals in captivity live two thirds longer than animals in the wild. You explain to her that animals in captivity have no 
problem when it comes to parasite infestation, when it comes to competition for breeding. You can explain that to all them with facts and say, listen, all these things exist. They're not make-believe. They're not – they could care less. They're after one thing and one thing only. They want to stop the wild animal trade because they believe we came from animals. That's what they believe. They put, they put human characteristics upon all animals. If you take a, a snake and you put it in a deli cup and you put it, the deli cup in a box and I ship it from, from Fort Lauderdale to, to California, they visualize you taking them and putting it in there. Oh, my goodness, the animal is going to be so stressed. I was like, no, no, the animals don't feel stressed like you and us feel stressed. Yes, they get stressed and you carefully deal with those stressful situations in a manner. Of course, I'm for always for policing, for being um, better at keeping the animals, better at shipping. Uh, IATA regulations, I, you know, I wanna, I'm, I've always been at the forefront of better shipping, better housing, but they're not interested in that. That is not their, their thought process. Their thought process is putting us out of business. Yeah. Um, have you ever had any, like, people at your place come up, show up at your store or anything? <laughs> it happens regularly. Regularly. Oh, that's, that's crazy. This is South Florida, buddy. <laughs> and you got to remember, <laughs> I also sell exotic mammals. If you think reptile people are a little wacky, you should try some mammal people. I sell, I sell primates, you know. I sell, I sell uh, lemurs and, and kinkajous and, and different types of monkeys we sell. People go crazy. I mean, I've had them petition outside the store. I've had them call the police. I mean, we've had people pick at our store because we don't have water bowls and with the baby monkeys. And you explain to them, you can't put a water bowl in with a baby monkey. They'll fall in the dish and die. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, can't, you can't explain the truth to, to people. They just don't get it. They, they don't want to get it. It doesn't fit no. their narrative on what is uh, normal behavior. So, um, I seen you. You know, I was watching one of your videos, and I noticed that you're uh, you you were expanding your store. Is, is that coming along good? Yeah, we're. Um, you know, we uh, man, we've had so many things. We the store's been open over twenty years, and businesses are just like people; they have this lifespan. And if you've ever walked into an old pet store, man, and you know the walls are beat up and the shelves are are old and and I walked in my store one day and I said, man, this is, this is, you know, what's happening to me here. My store is just getting old, 20 years. And so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking we're either going to move or just redo the whole store. I'm in the middle of dealing with the landlord. But I want to go the same way that the industry is going. You know, most people are buying stuff online. So we want to have some, we want to enact something so that the customers in store can see our prices online and purchase everything there and, I don't know. We're, we're working on some ideas, and it's going to definitely happen over the next uh, three to six months. Well, that's good. I, I I like to see change because if you don't change, like you said, it kind of gets repetitious and old. And, yeah, and it's hard um, because you know you got to compete. It's very difficult to compete. You know, I buy a light bulb from from Zoomed or from Exoterra, and I have to pay you know four dollars and thirty two cents for it. Now, in order for me to pay my electricity my insurance, my unemployment, uh, my rent, my taxes, all that stuff. I've got to charge $9 for that bulb in order to make 15 cents. But you go online to any website, 
and you can get that bulb I paid four dollars for for four fifty. You're like, man, okay. these people just ship, and and people don't realize that they have to pay shipping. They just realize, man, I just got the bulb for four dollars and fifty cents. So you know, it's definitely it's been it's been a crimp on on the retail market in a lot of ways, and we've tried. You know, we tried to match that and, and get better prices from the from the distributors, but you know that's all part of competition. I love healthy healthy competition, but we'll figure out a way to do it. We always do. You guys plan to get uh, do some more of your twenty minutes underground shows? Yeah, you know what happened is we had a guy that was filming it, and then when he left, we had this other guy that stepped right in. So the first like seventy eighty shows, you know, we were cranking out every week, every two weeks, and then that kid went to college. So we don't have anybody to film it right now. We have all these ideas and all these little things that we've been filming, but we don't have anybody. We're so busy, thank God, especially during, you know, the summer months when we got, I mean, we're harvesting eggs every day, waiting for other eggs to hatch, trying to watch animals, make sure that in Florida, you know, now it's in the mid-90s, and, you know, we have to water our animals every day. My outside animals, they got to get showered every day, and we've been in the middle of a little mini drought here in, in South Florida. But I'm hoping to put somebody on. I had a guy come on and said, oh, yeah, I'll take care of it, but never did. So I'm hoping that uh, over the course of the next few weeks we can put somebody on and, and start them. I mean, I wish we can do that forever. That's, that's one of the funnest things that we do. I, I love the show. Thank you so much. I uh, If I live closer, I'd film it for you, but I live all the way 2,000 miles from here. <laughs> we, <laughs> that would be fantastic. So, um, well... What about your venomous? I mean, do you guys still? You guys, I know you guys used to do classes for people that want to get their their license. Do you still do that? Yeah, every Tuesday and, and Friday, we do a venomous class at the store. It's usually between five and eight o'clock, and anybody that's want to wants to work their hours off can come and show up and start volunteering. Obviously, the first few weeks, sometimes a couple of months, depending on what kind of experience you got in handling snakes. You're just logging in your hours watching. And then eventually the guy that runs out, a guy named Phil Wolf, who's had his license for many, many years. He's excellent. One of the best reptile handlers when it comes to the, you know, when it comes to just following the rule of thumb. I mean, he doesn't free handle. He, he does, he does everything straight by the book. When Phil, when Phil uh, teaches somebody, I know that they're ready to, um, to handle venomous snakes. So we, we still do that. And I like venomous snakes, but you know, me and my wife adopted two little ones. So uh, it's not like I can keep them in the house anymore. I, I love cobras. I'm, I've always been a cobra guy. Big king cobras are, are, are some of my favorite animals, but I can't do that with a five and a seven year old. No, in the house. no. And it's fortunate that you're able to adopt these children that need to be adopted. That's that's a blessing in itself. Oh my goodness! <clears throat> I tell you one thing: if anybody's listening and, and, and they've ever thought about that. You do it because you think that that you're going to help out these poor kids or whatnot, and in the end, the blessing becomes yours so much more. I mean, these kids, you wind up loving them as much or more as, as the kids that came out of your own body for so many reasons. Um, so uh, anything, uh, if somebody wanted to uh, get a hold of you or get a hold of your store, uh, do you want to put that out there? Surely. You know, any, anybody wants to get in touch with us, ask us any questions. They want, you know, any, any expound on any details, they could call us at the store anytime. Uh, the number at, at, at the warehouse is 954-428-8005, where they can visit, visit us on the web and get all the information there at www.undergroundreptiles.com. And we've got a pretty extensive up-to-date website. I've got two people 
whose full-time job is just keep the website updated. So we try to have everything that's on the website in stock or we, we order it. You know, we, we, do, we do the best to do full service because in order to stay in business all these years, you got to be diversified. So you can't just breed because that only covers one part of the year. You also have to have, you know, a lot of oars in the water, so to speak, a lot of eggs in the basket. That's what keeps us going. But we hopefully like to pride ourselves on, on the customer service aspect of it and, and knowing what retail is about. So when some kid, little kid calls up and he has a, a question about his garter snake, we want to be as tentative to him as the guy that's, you know, calling up and asking about his blackhead pythons or his albino tigers or whatever it is. You know, we, we want to we be like that, and, you know, we strive to do that. I, I try to keep my guys always open-hearted that this is where we all started and we want to finish there too. So um, what got you into reptiles, if you don't mind me asking? Like, when you first... No, I don't mind. I'm from the city, and uh, I have this OCD tendency to begin with. I was kind of born with it. And when I was growing up, one of my neighbors, he used to go to uh, upstate New York. I'm from the city. He used to drive a couple hours outside of New York. If any of you listeners are from New York, then they used to go up to Monticello, a White Lake area, and he used to collect garter snakes, uh um, black rat snakes. He used to come home with all these snakes. And, and just a little kid, I used to go, wow, this is just the most amazing thing I've ever seen. But being a little kid, all I can do is, is get books. And we didn't have the, the, the World Wide Web when I was growing up. So that what we had to do was get this book called the Encyclopedia Britannica. And we used to open it up and we used to see the pictures of the snakes. And you used to go to the S's and look up snakes or go to R's and look up reptiles and you used to eat all the information that you could. And then uh, I met this guy, uh, Buddy Shapiro, who used to take me to, to all this stuff in Manhattan that was like they had all these reptile clubs. And, you know, I was just amazed at it. And by the time I was old enough, I was 14, 15, I used to start going to upstate New York and collecting myself. And then by the time I was 19, 20, I was flying down to Florida and collecting. And, and then when I was uh, about 22, I said, man, I'm, I'm going to move to Florida where I can find snakes in my backyard every day. And that's what I did. And, and because I'm OCD... I continued just always down the line of, of looking better and better and better. When I used to just collect and, and send the snakes back to people at our pet stores, then I started breeding and, and then I started importing and so forth and so on. Yeah. When I was a kid, I grew up in Philadelphia, so I'm from the city also. I used to uh, go to this pet store around the corner from my house. And as I got older and older, he, the owner of the pet store decided to give me a job there. And then before you know it, I was running the place and then, Mm-hmm. That's how I got it. I was just, did you ever collect up in the like Ben Salem area? Uh, no, but I used to go out to uh, Martin's Aquarium. I don't know if you know that place. Have you ever heard of that place? No, I, I used to go to the Pine Barrens though, outside of Jersey. Yeah. You ever go to the Pine Barrens? No. Yeah, I've been to the Pine Barrens, but I've never been the out. Pine Barrens is the sickest. Oh my goodness, it's so crazy. When I was a kid, we used to, everybody used to dream about going to Pine Barrens because, well, first of all, when I was a kid, it wasn't illegal to, to collect there. I think they protected everything there now. But when I was a kid, it was like you, you'd look at a map of all, where all these snakes occur, and you'd see they occur in, in Florida and Georgia. And then all of a sudden, this little tip in New Jersey where they had king snakes and corn snakes and scarlet kings. You know, man, why is that little tiny dot in the middle of New Jersey? So, man, as soon as I got a chance, I used to go up there. I remember the first time I caught a, a pine snake up there. I just went, I went nuts. I couldn't believe a northern pine snake. I just, I just wanted to stare at the thing for hours upon hours. It was just amazing to me, amazing. 
Yeah, I think they protected almost everything in there now. Is it uh, over because of the development that's going on and all? Yeah, but they'll blame the collectors. Don't worry. Oh, I'm sure they will. <laughs> My dream snake is an in- eastern indigo. So. Bro, I have Texas indigos. They're amazing. It's very hard to tell the difference. Oh, yeah, I, I've seen a lot of uh, people, like, videos and stuff of people with them. Did you you know they, they really deregulated they really deregulated uh, the Eastern Indigos down here. They're, they're issuing, fairly regularly issuing permits. So, I mean, if you come down to Florida, it's not hard to get a permit from. Well, that would be awesome. Cause that's my dream yeah. snake right there, Eastern Indigo. Have you ever had them? No. No, but I've done a lot of research. Non-venomous cobra. They are the (laughs) filthiest, nastiest, dirtiest snakes. They eat so much. They crap. You can clean the cage and keep putting the animal back in, and every time you clean that cage, put it back in, and he's going to go, yeah, I got something else for you. They are just (laughs) filthy beasts. Oh, they're so sweet. I mean, my my five- and seven-year-old, they love them. I've got one that's about six-and-a-half foot uh, out of Texas Indigo's. Man, and they just absolutely love him. They sit there and look in his face, and they, they take their tongue, and they whack him right in the face with it, and they blink. It, it's cute as all get out, but let me tell you something. You put them in a big five, six-foot vision cage, and you'll have to clean it out three times a week. Oh, gee. Well, that's all part of the whole game, though, cleaning. But no, ain't it's, it the truth. Uh, but, the, yeah, I, w- I would just love to have, like, an indigo stick. <clears throat> so... Um, and you also purchase animals from people, right? Like if they have, if they breed king snakes. No, especially. <clears throat> yeah, that, that's how we make some of our um, our best profit margins. Is people who are breeding. If anybody's listening, they're breeding anything they're breeding or anything they're collecting that's legal. Um, you know, we just bought a bunch of garter snakes off of some guy up in Maine who's collecting them. And yeah, absolutely, we will. Uh, we can purchase animals uh, from breeders or collectors. Obviously, only legal. We, we will not do anything illegal. That, that would be kind of stupid. Um, some 20 years ago, when I was uh, just a young man, I imported some some pancake tortoises from Tanzania, only to find out that the guy that shipped them to me out of Tanzania, he forged the permit. He forged what's called the CITES paperwork. And uh, the United States government came after me, and I wound up having to do a year in federal prison for importing illegal uh, pancake tortoises. So uh, I won't be doing that again. No, I guess not. I would like to thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure, and brother. If any, and uh, I would, you know, when you start getting some of this other couple of years down the road, when you got some really new tegus that are out again, I would like to get you on again. Anytime. Just give me a shot. Anytime. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, right, anybody brother. who's interested in anything, they have everything at the store. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, brother. God bless you. Bless you too. Well, everybody, thank you for tuning in to uh, Herpetological Hour today. And uh, uh, please join me again. Uh, next week, I will be doing a paranormal show again. And I'm sure everybody's going to love the paranormal show that I do. I have a special guest on. So uh, we'll see everybody then. Thank you. And.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.